0: Welcome to Outside Inside Radio, which is brought to you by Prison Arts Collective. Prison Arts Collective is founded on the belief that art is a human right and is dedicated to bringing the transformative power of the arts to people experiencing incarceration. Our collaborative teaching teams include faculty, students, and staff, and our classes include making art, art history, reflection, and the cultivation of a safe space. We're based in the School of Art and Design at San Diego State University and have additional chapters at three CSU campuses, San Bernardino, Fresno, and Fullerton. Prison Arts Collective is a project of California Transformative Arts, an initiative of the California Arts Council and the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Outside Inside Productions are a way to communicate with our participants and with the wider public through video and other media as an extension of our distance learning project created in response to COVID-19. We're so happy to be back again for the continuation of our Bridge Series. While we work on season two, we'd like to share with you conversations we've had with some very important people from the Prison Arts Collective. We hope you enjoy them as much as we did. This is Ella Turin again, and I'm here with Heather Rossler, who is transitioning into being the program coordinator at the Prison Arts Collective, who has held many, many roles. Hi, Heather. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you doing, Ella?
0: I'm good. It's so great to have you here. Um... So can we start by talking about your many roles in the Prison Arts Collective? Um, you have uh, you're you're going to be the program coordinator, but you've held many positions, including being a teaching artist. Can you talk a little bit about your background and what kinds of things you've done at the PAC?
1: Um My background uh, as an artist and a student, I I got a B.A. in psychology and M.F.A. in studio art and design at California State University, San Bernardino. Um, That's actually while I was majoring in psychology. Annie came into one of my classes and she was introducing her program back in uh, 2014. Her program had started in 2013 Um, and. It was just such a fitting role because of the experiences I'd had, getting in trouble myself, my interest in psychology, my passion for art and healing, um, and so I jumped on the opportunity. And since then, I have I started as an intern, then I was a teaching artist. I uh, mentored and trained facilitators in the prisons to become teachers. I led the exhibitions, a traveling exhibition for PAC um, installation and curation, and then. Um, Now I'm transitioning to program coordinator.
0: (laughs) So as program coordinator, what will you be doing? And can you talk a little bit about why this role and the other roles that you've had have been important to you?
1: At the time, because we don't do on-site teaching right now, um, I'm overseeing the distance learning, um, production of the packets basically just kind of like helping everybody stay oriented and, and control all the moving pieces within the program. Um, and it's important because when I look back, I'm, it makes sense that since I've been working with the program since 2014, I've always kind of went, I dove into every opportunity to take on any role um, that helped me learn and grow and um, become more dynamic and versatile in what I can do. And so it's, yeah, I know the program pretty much like the back of my hand, even though we're constantly changing and evolving. Um, but it's important because it's helped me grow personally, not just professionally. Um, and I, I really enjoy, even though it can be uncomfortable to break out of your comfort zone and it can be stressful, but it's, it's, it's helped me grow so much. It's helped me grow in confidence and leadership skills. It's uh, made me a better communicator, a better teacher, a better artist.
0: What's been the most rewarding thing for you to see happen and for you to experience as you've been part of this?
1: I mean, I love that I've kind of found myself and what I want to do with my life, the things that I'm passionate about, psychology, this idea of mentoring, helping people, therapy, even though I'm not you know, like, um, licensed, and then tying in art because art is so integral to my well-being and healing and being able to take those and share it with others and then seeing how powerful of an effect it has on these these individuals that need art and need healing. And and not only the best experience is seeing that what PAC has done for me, I've seen it have that effect on the participants.
0: Now you're an artist too, um, and you've been a teaching artist. So can you tell us a little bit about your art making? What do you do? And what has art making meant to you? Well, I mean,
1: since I say about 12 years old, writing and art was always a big part of my life. And it was just because I I grew up in a broken home, um, experiences of abuse, neglect. I was left alone a lot. And for some reason, just kind of creating my own reality or having some kind of control over my creativity is kind of what I clung to over the years. And through any difficult times, it seems like art is always that outlet that helps you get through difficult emotions, experiences. Although there was a point in in life uh, before I transferred to CSUSB where something had happened and I kind it kind of mentally broke me and I, I'd lost that drive. But school always kind of motivates me and keeps me going. So when I was majoring in psychology and then I started to take art classes. Um, It just kept me going. And then I kind of didn't find myself though, creatively until the MFA program, um, because that's when I really learned about like art is so much more than just making pictures and objects, you know, Um, there's theory, history, you learn about your community, it's about communication there's just so much more that it allows you to kind of dig into yourself and see yourself and see the world and connect with others, and then personally, just my own creative practice. I was going through a lot of loss and I was thinking about um, death and mortality, and so my work mostly focuses on that loss, mortality, death, um, and like and how it connects me to the nature of things and my own sense of spirituality. So I. I dabble and I love dabbling in anything and everything. So painting, drawing, photography, sculpture. I do use a lot of organic matter and I use um, dead animals. I don't hurt animals in the process of my work. It's usually like I lose my pets because I also like have a zoo and I I had lots of pets, but I had lots of rats at one time. Um, So they were the starting point. And I, you know, would make bone sculptures and um, sculptural paintings and, and and whatnot. And so now I kind of just create memorial pieces. And I explore like scientifically, it's like I'm an amateur scientist, also like a child at play. And I'm like, trying to learn about the world and confront everything through art.
0: I love how you talk about um, art as a, as a healing practice, too. And it's, a tool that on one hand is offering sort of like a mode of catharsis, but also can be a space where, um, you know, people can facilitate healing for others and find healing for themselves as well. Um, And I think that goes along with this idea of transformation, which is, um, you know, something that is in PAC's mission. So can you talk a little bit about your thoughts about transformation and its intersection with art and if you've seen that sort of like become manifested in the program what does that look like for you what or, or what has that looked like for you
1: um i mean from a personal perspective i've seen art transform my own mind my perception perspective on life and it's even helped me navigate life differently and make different choices. Um, And so, but I've also seen that in my students, seen the light bulbs, I've seen the inspiration in their eyes, I've seen those individuals who want to change and want a chance, um, using art as this creative outlet to build confidence. Um, The content that we share, you know, we have educators in there um, who are trying to give them a full range of this world perspective and a sense of self. And there are many of the participants that have transformed their lives, and I've seen that over six years. Some of them just thriving and pursuing um, new goals and growth, and it's it's been a really beautiful experience to see even some of our participants get out and change their lives for the better.
0: Can you give like an example of you know uh, um, how how it how that transformation has happened? Um, I think sometimes people, you know, think about transformation and it sounds like very ethereal and this, this like, you know, fluffy thing that happens. And those of us who are practitioners who see it happen day in and day out in this work, we know that it's very concrete and tangible. And I wonder if you can share um, a story of, or an example of, you know, how you've seen it work.
1: Well, on just a small scale, like in the classroom, I mean, just starting with the content that we share, um, you have students who—it's like a light being shine on them, shown on them, and they engage in the conversation and they get really enthusiastic, excited about the content. So even just the exchange of their intellectual, mental faculties and being able to have a dialogue, but then just the changes that they make. Throughout the years where they're trying to make better choices, trying to change their habits on the inside, just feeling happier and inspired and heard in the classroom environment through our program Um, and actually seeing these participants do everything they can to get out and be better. And then they get out and then we see how they're doing and they're thriving.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think also like that piece that you talk about um, being able to be seen and heard. I think that's one of the most powerful things that, you know, making art can do for somebody. Oh
1: yeah, and and it's even on like even not even just in the art making aspect of that. When we started calling them by their first name, it made them feel human and feel connected, and they're always showing so much gratitude.
0: We're in a crazy time right now with this pandemic and how things are going on the inside and I know that you all are, you know, you've you talked about how even though the in-person work is not happening, packets are still being sent, and so there are still ways in which the PAC is engaging folks inside in art making. Um, what would you, you know, like to share with participants inside about this time and about y- your thoughts on the work, and um, you know, maybe what you see like coming uh, coming out of the horizon of like when we get out of this, you know, what what kind of thoughts would you like to share with them?
1: Um, I mean, in general, we're constantly thinking about them and we're worried about them and we hope that they're okay. You know, we have a lot of personal relationships with our students and, you know, I I can imagine it's so much harder for them being more isolated. Um, but we do love having that interaction and we feel like, you know, there's something missing when we don't get to go into the classroom and talk to our students and see how they're doing. Um, But we are grateful that we can still adapt and be flexible and try to reach out to them and just let them know that we haven't forgotten about them. And we have gotten feedback and they've been so grateful for that, that, you know, somebody is thinking about them and reaching out to them and giving them a distraction, taking them out of the isolation. Um, So we're thinking of you and we hope you're okay. and we look forward to teaching and seeing you again.
0: Yeah, and and we all need that kind of connection right now. Um, So it's so great that you all are still like pushing forward and making sure that those connections are felt.
1: Yeah, it's been challenging, but we're doing everything we can to, you know, keep it going.
0: Thank you so much, Heather, for taking the time to chat. And I've so enjoyed learning about all the amazing work that you're doing. Um, And I'm sure that, you know, folks have gained some good insight into the behind the scenes of how things get done.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Hi, this is Ella Turen, and I am here with Mark Taylor, who's a facilitator with the Prison Arts Collective. Hi, Mark. How are you?
2: I'm outstanding. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's so
0: good to have you here.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate being here.
0: So, Mark, you're a facilitator, and you do this work um, with the Prison Arts Collective at Pelican Bay, correct? Correct. So tell us a little bit about um, what that means, what do you do, and a little bit about you as well and how you got to be a facilitator.
2: Definitely. So I spent 21 and a half years in prison while I was incarcerated at Ironwood State Prison. The Prison Arts Collective came in and they were running a facilitator training course for the course that they offer. That's how I came came into contact with them. Uh, I got trained as a facilitator while incarcerated, and after my release, I stayed in contact with the Prison Arts Collective and then began putting together a curriculum. So let me back up a little bit. While I was incarcerated, I developed an immense-focused creative writing curriculum with the Prison Arts Collective that I started facilitating while I was incarcerated also. After I was released, I started working with the Anti-Recidivism Coalition inside Pelican Bay State Prison. Reached out to the Prison Arts Collective because I felt that the curriculum they offer uh, would really help the men who are incarcerated there. So we expanded the program in the Pelican Bay. We're in the preliminary stages of that right now. And we revamped the uh, men's focused creative writing curriculum to turn it into a correspondence course right now due to COVID. And then when I can go on site, myself and other Prison Arts Collective facilitators will be going inside Pelican Bay State Prison and doing face-to-face instruction.
0: I'm sure you must miss that face-to-face instruction, but it's great that you're still able to do the correspondence piece. Has that been a challenging experience to convert and switch from doing things in person to in correspondence?
2: It's extremely challenging because the courses were designed for you to be on site with the participants and to have that, that instantaneous interaction. So we had to design it to where the participant can look at the packet, review the packet, write out everything that's required, send it back to us, we review it, document it, log it, and we send it back with uh, additional instructions and feedback to the student to ensure that they're growing the way that the course is designed for them to grow, it's a little bit labor intensive. We still were the the correspondence curriculum is just as effective as the on site curriculum, but we do look forward to the day when we can go back in. Hopefully, it'll be later this year. I hope so too. Yeah.
0: Um, and what's been the feedback from the men there? How have they responded to this switch and this different mode of of doing this
2: creative work? The feedback has been great so far. There are some amazing artists incarcerated in that prison who are already doing phenomenal work, and we're just trying to enhance what they're already doing, give them some additional training, you know, in, in as it pertains to art. So the feedback has been good.
0: Mark, why is this work important to you? I mean, you have participated both as somebody who was inside and now as somebody who is outside facilitating why do you continue to do the work? Why is it important to you?
2: So it, it it's important to me because art became a part of my healing process, right? So some people call it rehabilitation. I call it healing. When I decided to heal all the childhood traumas that I experienced when I was young and I really engaged in that process, I probably have done well over a thousand hours of self-help group while I was incarcerated. And then some were more... Uh, effective than others the prison arts collective was one of those because it was it kind of forced me to really explore on a deeper level you know the things that happened to me when i was young uh, and it was extremely beneficial and it helped me put some of the missing pieces of the puzzle in place as i say right it really helped me with that with that healing process and i know that that this is what our men and women who are confined in prisons throughout the country need they need access to programs that will help them heal. I believe the Prison Arts Collective does that super effectively. There's something about that—that that self-expression, whether it's doing a drawing, a painting, or creative writing. There's like a therapeutic nature to them all. So I think it's important for that, you know, because we want we want our community members to return back to society healthy and whole, and and this is one one program that can help them do that
0: yeah and i think it's it's so powerful too when you watch that healing happening i think you know for me as as a writer as well like i've i've done workshops with young people inside and every time i watch a young person who is writing a poem or writing a rhyme and they're writing about either their own experience or about the injustices that they face or the trauma that they face you can just see like what's happening, right? Between what's going on in the head, what's going on in the heart and what's going on in the page. Um, and I wonder if, if you could talk a little bit about you as a, as a writer and how you came to writing and what art making has meant to you. What was your development and journey like as a writer?
2: so I, I I was an avid reader after I came to prison like I, w- I was consuming all type of literature right and and I was getting a lot from that literature and somewhere along that journey uh, I figured out that I needed to write myself in order just to get some of my life experiences out because it, it's been my experience when you hold things in they become toxic so actually putting it on a piece of paper and then sometimes reading it publicly right it, mm. it, it really it really helped me heal and it really forced me to like take a look back in my life and to analyze my life and, mm. and to, and to think about how, you know, some of these experiences impacted my psyche and my decision-making processes. Right. So I would openly talk about traumas that happened in the, in the house, uh, abuse, my experience with, uh, gangs. I used to be a gang member. I'm no longer a gang member, uh, had to heal from that, uh, uh, But openly expressing this on a piece of paper and then amongst my peers and then talking about what it took to recover from that mind state, right, as well, uh, proved to be very therapeutic. There was a lot of stuff in my life that I blocked out that I didn't even want to think about. But again, that, that 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 was toxic as well. So I had to go back and revisit these things, think about them, get them out on a piece of paper and then process it. Right. So. So for me, it's, it's been extremely helpful. And, and in California, there's a there's a process where you have to go to a board to be found suitable for release. Uh, and in there, they're gonna ask you about your childhood. That they're, they're gonna right. uncover these traumas and they're gonna wanna talk about them, right? Uh, oh, so this creative writing helped me prepare for that piece uh, mm-hmm. because without that, when I walked into the boardroom, this would have been the first time I would have been thinking about these things for 20, 30, sometimes 40 years. Uh, and I would have been processing right there in the boardroom instead of already having processed and healed from that. So that's why I was able to go to board and be found suitable and be released from prison and be released from a life sentence. So it was very, very, it's been a very important part of my journey. So I want to share that with the men at the institution I serve inside Pelican Bay.
0: And that can be that experience. If you haven't confronted, it could be pretty overwhelming um, and scary. I mean, was it scary? Was it, did you feel like you were vulnerable, like you were just putting yourself out there? I mean, being inside is not a place that celebrates vulnerability. So how did you navigate that? How did you move through, you know, and, and get the courage to be able to tell your story in that way?
2: Right. So so I agree with you. Uh, inside a prison is not the place that that like honors vulnerability. Stuff <laughs> yeah, like not you. at all. <laughs> 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 it is it, extremely difficult being uh, vulnerable. But it, but I was blessed to have some mentors who came before me. And when I when I first started doing self-help groups, they would talk about things they experienced in their family. Right. So I was raised in a culture where you don't talk about stuff that happens in the household. Not only outside the household, you don't even talk about it in the household, like right. Not to be spoken. (laughs) Right, it's not to be spoken. Uh, So when I I would see these men do that, I was like, man, that I can't believe he just said that in front of the entire class, right? And then I would have follow up discussions with them, and they were explaining how that was part of their recovery process, right? And then and then I started doing it, which was you know extremely healing. I'll give you an example. When I was young, my mother, when she got remarried for the third time, she was in a very abusive relationship. And I never talked about that. And I remember just being a kid, laying in my bed, terrified, shaking, feeling like, you know, at 10 years old, I'm the person who should be running downstairs stopping this, her, who was her husband at the time, stopping him from hitting her and I lived with that trauma forever. Like, I, I never talked about it. I never talked about it with my mom, my sister, myself, anyone who was there. And, you know, so she eventually divorced him as a result of a very violent incident. So when I talked about that in group, I was able to trace back my, my embrace as violence as a, as, a, as a young gang member, me embracing violence back in part to that one incident where me and my sister tried to intervene from from him beating my mother, and he beat us all and knocked me unconscious. But my mother divorced him the next day. So as a young kid, I processed that is well, I tried to intervene violently. I got beat up and knocked out. But nevertheless, I tried to intervene, and now he's gone. So violence works. Even though I lost, violence works. So that started manifesting in my daily decision-making processes at 10 years old. So when I was scared of the bully, okay, we can fight even if you beat me up, right and then uh, mm-hmm. and then I started getting more more and more violent, but I was able to trace that back to that sin- single incident, talk about it openly in class, and just talking about it openly and writing about it was the therapy I needed to where I could let go of that because I hadn't mm-hmm. let go of it. I, I had held that for my entire life all the way in this point I was I was I think I was around 38. So here I am about, I'm approaching wow. 40 and I've kept this since I was a 10 year old little kid. And then this writing- And you writing didn't even process, know it. And I didn't even know it. And, and, and the writing <laughs> process helped me resolve that. And then I figured out there, there there's power that comes with that. Instead of living in shame, you can let these things out for the world to see, and you don't have to be de- defined by them anymore. You know, you mm-hmm. can resolve that pain, you can resolve that trauma, and you can move forward. So that's why I think it's important.
0: So, Mark, that's, I mean, that's so powerful. And especially, again, like I said, in, in a place that um, sort of like doesn't celebrate vulnerability, celebrates hypermasculinity, to be able to offer a, a space and a moment for people to, you know, bear their souls to really do inner work is actually quite extraordinary it's the work that we all should be doing. And it sounds like, you know, you found writing as the way to allow for that to happen. I wonder if you could talk about um, specifically the PAC, like, you know, you talked about how it's transformed your life, but this idea of transformation is something that is really a thread that runs through the work of the PAC. Can you talk about what you've experienced other people, um, you know, going through this process of transformation? What, What has that looked like in your experience?
2: So one thing I'll say about prison itself and and that the PAC was able to navigate, prison is designed to disenfranchise, to silence those who are incarcerated, to take their voice from them, to separate them from society and to disempower. So when the Prison Arts Collective came in and my first contact with them was when they were first being introduced to Ironwood State Prison and they didn't come in as no like paternalistic, all-knowing entity. Right. They, they, they came in more like we want to collaborate with you and figure out how we can introduce art into this space. And we want to empower you. So from the gate, they were empowering us and teaching us the correct way to facilitate a class. My whole time in prison, there was only one other program, which was the Alternatives to Violence Project that began showing me that process. Everything else. We were just coming up with on our own, with no formal training, figuring out, okay, how do we run a class? And then we would run a class. So the, so the PAC came in and showed us the correct way to do it. And I think that's what separated them from every other program that I had been involved with. They empowered us and we collaborated. Like the men's focus creative writing, I would write something, send it to them. They would offer feedback. We would revise and, and develop an even better curriculum. And then what's also important is they would create a safe space. Like there is no safe space. in prison. You have to have your guard up. You cannot trust anybody. Absolutely. And we would come into the prison arts collective and uh, into the class. And that was the one place where everyone, you know, would let their guard down. You know, we had a student, he created one of the most phenomenal pictures I've ever seen of Barack Obama out of coffee and a piece of paper. And it, to me, it should be hanging in the Smithsonian, right? And it shows you how <laughs> resilient students can be. Uh, and it shows you how they can create things with almost nothing. So I think they're, they're very empowering.
0: Yeah, and I wanna sort of uplift what you're saying about the power that folks are given inside, because you're right. It's not a space where power is given, power is taken away. To be able to be also seen as an artist. And the other piece is bringing people together, because that's another thing that's really hard inside. There's the walls that are there period. But then there are the invisible walls between people because they're in certain groups or they're, you know, they're in a certain clique. And those are very difficult also to break out of when you're in prison. But it seems like these art spaces are like the few spaces that allow for people to just like put that to the side for a second and come together to do this
2: art. Definitely. I I still have relationships with individuals uh, who I was incarcerated with, who I met through the Prison Arts Collective. Like we got out and we stayed in touch because of the the community that it be- it builds a real community. You get out and and you can talk to those who you were in class with and we kind of help individuals navigate reentry which in and of itself is is difficult, but we're able to help because of the relationship we established while on the inside. It really comes down to relationships, community, breaking down those barriers because, you know, it's the microcosm of society. It's just more prominent when you go on the inside. But art is the thing that can tear down those barriers and you can really see that other individual is human. And then you begin the hard work of healing because healing is hard. It's, It's like you pour a piece of your identity into every art piece. So I think that's very important, too, because prison takes your identity from you. You know, prison tries... And they're pretty effective at doing it. You know, inmate yeah. is, they, they assign you the number, now you're this number, and it strips you of who you are, the essence of who you are as a human being. And art kind of helps restore that and helps you explore uh, uh, who you are and share that with the world.
0: Yeah. And in a way, it's kind of like, by putting their art out into the world, they're kind of reclaiming their identity in that way. They're able to be more in control of communicating and expressing who they are. And that's, you know, that's the kind of control that you don't necessarily have inside. I think that's so beautiful for people to feel like they have their own agency again through art.
2: Absolutely, and you can express things that it feels like art is one of the few ways you can. So I remember the first show I did with with Homeboy Industries and I came down there just to support the incarcerated artists who couldn't be there because they were in prison. And I remember seeing this one piece. I, I didn't know the artist, but it was of him in prison. And it was, it showed, I believe it was his son or daughter on the other side of the fence in a prison jumpsuit. And that just, I mean, oh, I stood before that piece and I just like cried because I knew, I knew what it was, you know, you I knew the I story. Know if, if, if you're incarcerated, there's a higher probability that your children will be incarcerated too. And Mm -hmm. even if they're not, they're serving time with you. Your entire family is serving time with you when you're incarcerated. And this artist was able to express that in a way that really, really resonated. That was part of their story that they were sharing with the world that was out here now. Anyone who looks at that piece, you know, there might be a slightly different interpretation, but you're going to be able to see the reality of that piece and and what it embodies. So I, I think that's incredibly important.
0: Wow, that's so powerful. But those those are the kinds of messages that need to get outside, so that people can really understand what's going on inside, and also understand how folks inside are interpreting the lives that they're living. You know, there's a conversation that happens, uh, um, an exchange between, you know, the artist putting something out there and what the viewer is looking at and what they're interpreting as well.
2: I agree. I agree.
0: So, Mark, um, I wonder if you can tell us uh, as a writer, like, are there things that you're working on? Am I going to be seeing a next book from you? Like, what do we have? What What are your creative endeavors at this point?
2: Right. Uh, it's ironic you should ask that, because probably around two months ago, I, I began writing a book while I was incarcerated. I think I was probably around 15 years into a life sentence. Totally forgot about it, had it packed up and put away ran across it. I wrote it all in pencil, right? Wow. And I think I got maybe maybe a quarter of the book done, right? So it still needed a lot of work, but I ended up running across that. And it reminded me of where I was at at that time. Uh, so I, I plan to complete it. It's just right now, a full-time college student, Humboldt State University, Yes. its Collective working with the Anti Recidivism <laughs> Coalition, advocating for fair and just criminal justice reform. So you're I'm a little more, busy, right? I'm a little busy, but I, I think I think when I when I graduate, if all goes as planned, mid 2022, uh, or maybe in between semesters, I can get to to writing again. But I, I would definitely like to put that out there, and I and I would like to write about you know incarcerated men, women, and children, you know that I've I've come into contact with and kind of get their their stories out there. I just got to figure out a way to do it, a way where I'm really honoring, you know, them. So that, that's a future project, but yeah, I, I love writing. It's just about finding time and space. Time. To get
0: done. <laughs> I know the struggle. What? I know the struggle, but I'm looking forward to reading something for you. So if I could, if I could hold that over your head, I'm going to.
2: <laughs> definitely. Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Um, so just to close out, um, you know we're we're in some really crazy times right now, and I know that it's been very hard for folks inside with the pandemic um, but you're still doing your thing and you know getting art to folks inside um, despite the conditions that we're living in. Um, what can you offer? what can you what would you like to share with listeners inside about um, whether it's, you know, encouraging them to continue their art practice or, you know, what you see as, you know, what what you see as inspiration that's helping you get through this, um, you know, what would you like to share with folks, especially folks on the inside?
2: I would say the folks on the inside are definitely a source of inspiration to me, a- a- always have been. I think about them when when I struggle with, you know, COVID-19, the pandemic, and I start having these feelings of, I'm in prison again because I can't go out like I like to. And then mm-hmm. I think about them and the struggles they face, right? It's got a lot more difficult for individuals who are incarcerated throughout this country. They get infected and exposed to COVID-19 at higher rates than us out here in society. Uh, there is a true threat you know, to, to their health and safety. A lot of institutions have cut off family visiting to ensure that someone from the outside doesn't bring COVID in. Uh, But now you have individuals who can't see their families. Right. Uh, They can't go to a visiting room and sit with their son, daughter, mother, brother, sister, whoever it may be. Uh, Thankfully, they're starting to make the transition to where they can do it kind of how me and you are doing right now. They can see their family on a on a computer screen. Right. But but, you know, I would encourage them just to tap tap into that resilience, that strength. Make sure that you're expressing yourself, whether through art, writing, whatever it is, do what you can to stay psychologically you know, healthy during these times, it, it's tough enough without COVID. It's exponentially harder with COVID because they're even more isolated now than they ever have been uh, as a result of this. And not to mention that, you know, some of them have families who have passed away while they're incarcerated. And that's tough. And and they mm-hmm. have to deal with that from there. So I would encourage them, you know, to to do what they can to stay a, a sane, healthy And in in whole, Uh, uh, just do what you have to do to stay safe and wash your hands a lot.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Do all of the health things. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. It's a combination of all of that, too. So I think that's a great message. Um, Thank you so much, Mark, for your wisdom, your insight, your creativity, your passion. I could feel it even though we're not in the same room but I appreciate you and and all that you've been doing for folks. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. And I I appreciate the opportunity to come on here today and talk about it.
0: Thank you for joining us here at Outside Inside Radio. We really appreciate your support. And you can find out more about us at www.prisonartscollective.com. I'm your host, Ella Turen. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of Outside Inside Radio. Until the next
2: time.